The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace, you can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi, everyone. This is Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I am at the Visual Workplace, and I'm here to welcome you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for the visit in advance of the very good time that we're going to have together for the next 47 to 52 minutes. So this radio show is about the visual workplace and about letting it speak through visual devices. These aren't just paste-on cookie-cutter devices that you've seen in somebody else's factory or hospital or bank or whatever. These are devices that you develop, that you invent in order to express what you need to know and express or capture what you need to share. These devices give you control over your work area, over your work function, whether you're an operator, a CEO, a maintenance manager, the head of the hospital, gives you command and control over your own information because you embed that information through devices into the landscape of your work, into what I like to call the living landscape living because this is a dynamic relationship and it is a dynamic conversation. That's what the visual workplace is about. It is. Not, it was one tiny, 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 tiny piece of it is to enable you to see the difference between normal and abnormal. But if your definition of a visual workplace stops there, you are underselling this fabulous, splendid, magnificent, ready to contribute methodology. It can't help you with your work if you don't conceptualize it widely enough. And during the 1980s and 90s, when the people who specialized in lean from Toyota and other Japanese plants, but particularly Toyota, came over and taught us cellular design, which eventually became kind of a lean design with tack time and pull one-piece flow, they presented visuality to the extent that they knew it, which was very limited. I have a story to tell you one of these days about how limited that is. In particular, when I was trying to meet with Iwata and uh, Mr. Nakao, and uh, that's an interesting story I may have told you already. It was not funny for me. It was very funny for them. But they thought they understood visuality, and in fact, the fact is they had a huge contribution to make in their field. 
they had been identified by Toyota as top performers and they were sent out into the supply chain in order to get those suppliers whipped into shape, 10%, 30% reduction in cost, meaning lead time, always lead time, it's never cost, it's always lead time with Toyota in one week. They were called the thugs, T-H-U-G-S, of the Toyota production system. And Ono sent them out because they were crackerjacks. But they didn't, they neither devoted themselves to the development of people or the organizations that they visited. They simply were there to drive down lead time. Because what we discovered in the 1980s after studying the Toyota production system for a decade was that the system was about time. It was a time-based system. That was the metric. So all of that was very interesting. It's been my pleasure, to put it mildly, to have the chance to develop workplace visuality into a field, a field of research, a field of study, a field of performance. And it is that which I'm talking to you about. And today we're going to look at one little corner of that. This may be our final show for this year on borders, maybe, unless there's a clamor for more from you. But we're going to look at borders, which is an aspect of what I call the visual wear, what some of you call 5S. I used to call it 5S plus one visual order, and then I shifted to the visual wear because I really wanted to capture the functionality of that. I wanted to capture the functionality of embedding the wear and how important that was for performance. And there are three elements. A border, not a line. Line is a geometric coordinate. A border, an address, and if possible, an ID label. An ID label on, con- on consumables don't, doesn't make any sense, but an ID label on something that kind of wanders around and comes back home like a little dog tag, ID label works. Okay? But the border and address is absolutely indispensable and required because what we want is automatic recoil. We want a transparent visual where we not only want to know where things are, but we want to know what they are, where they are. And many, many other layers of dimension, of meaning, dimensions of meaning, I should say, that we can get out of that combination of addresses and borders. So we've talked about that extensively over the last four weeks. And today I'm going to walk you through the process that I've developed for developing color-coded border systems. It certainly isn't something that should be handed down by corporate, but in fact is high highly um, anchored in performance and so needs to be developed by people who understand what the heck is happening literally on the floor and with the floor. So I'll walk you through that. So welcome to the visual workplace. I'm delighted you came. I'm your host for this weekly show and I just got the numbers. We're still up there. We're still 65, 70,000 people a month are listening and I am so glad because I thought I might have lost some of you because I'm going into, you know, a lot of depth in, into the stuff that I know and stuff that I've discovered that I, I, I figure is important to some, somebody out there. I'm so glad. And, and thank you for your emails. And you know what? Today, on today's show, if you call in with a question, a comment, you will receive our color code border system template. The phone number, right here it is, 
866-472-5790 and our email is radio at visualworkplace.com radio at visualworkplace.com ladies and gentlemen I am determined to turn this into a call-in show because I want to know you I want your voice and I want you to be part of this wonderful visual workplace process so I'm going to begin to tantalize you. Let's see who raises raises their hand. I have just a few announcements before I jump in. Uh, one of them is, and him banging on my hands, one of them is we're doing a double hitter in the UK in May, on May 23rd, 24th, and May 28th, 29th. We're going to send out a second blast on that. It's going to be the flagship visual workplace visual thinking seminar but with a visual site assessment using the tools that you use the day before so that you can go into your that plant and then into your plant and be able to see but most particularly see what is not there and know what to do about it know what it means and know that what its impact is sometimes you'll see what isn't there and you'll understand because you understand visuality you know what that's not important for us right now Or sometimes you'll see, and because you understand, you'll say, holy cow, no wonder, no wonder we're having so much trouble. We don't have that category of visual function in place. That's a screamer. Okay, so it's grooming the eyes. You get very good at this. We become very interested in our world. I want to tell you a little story, tiny, tiny story about um, we're doing a Spanish translation of work that makes sense. We're doing the Spanish translation right now of the PowerPoints. It's a set of 11 uh, learning modules, and there are four operators. It's work that makes sense, operator-led visuality. That's my yellow book. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from our work, uh, our website, visualworkplace.com. Fine. But it was it, the book came along because I'd been training this for a decade, and it was very, very valid. Well, we were invited to get it translated into Spanish for a rollout that's going to be 54 plants. And we're not going to be a part of it. We are simply providing the material and we're doing some long-distance coaching so that the people who are implementing don't fall into a pothole we know is there. We put a great big garbage can in it. And you can, you're riding down the street and you see this garbage can coming out of the middle of the road. And we say, hold it. You're heading for that pot, pothole. Don't go into it. It's dangerous in there. That actually happened once when I was with my brother in New York when I was around 20 and he was around 25 and uh, he was a taxi cab driver and he showed me this garbage can in the middle of the road in New York City saying, this is this is how kind we are to each other. We warn each other. There's a big hole coming up. Wow, what a place. And what's so interesting about this is that I, I, I'm hearing back from the people who are training and they're saying people Love it. They're so motivated. These are operators. And these are operators who are sewing most of the time or lugging things. You know, this is a pretty strong work environment. And, and I was thinking to myself, why would they get that excited? I'm not training it. So it isn't me being charming. Their people are training it and they're brand new at it. They're doing it the first time. This is their, what we call an A cycle. This is the cycle for them to learn how to do it. And I think I realized why. Because the material really talks to the learner, to the student, as though they are you, as though they are me. This material isn't dumped down and I've often been asked to dumb down my material. But I've always said, visuality is who we are, 
and a visual workplace is our birthright. If the workplace isn't visual, we can't understand it because we understand our environment through our senses. And so when you bring people into the visual world, they will recognize that it is their world. And by recognizing it, they will then be able to not only move through it, but make it more visual. Make it visual. Make it increasingly visual so that the information that I, you, we need at our fingertips or sometimes not more than once a month is available to us at a glance. And then the environment becomes ours. We begin to perform in it. And when we begin to perform in an environment with confidence and success, with continuity and flow, with a growing level of excellence, what happens to us on the inside? A little bit of margin opens up where the struggle used to be. And in that margin, in that slight band, is the opportunity to become a person that we want to become slightly greater, better, finer, more refined, simpler, sweeter, more competent, whatever it is than we are now. Because we need that tiny little margin where the pressure is off, where we can simply flow. It's the flow that informs us, and it is the flow that changes us. Mm? And that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what's happening there. They're getting that they live in a visual world and they're getting that it's their world and they can change it or make it more visual and the kinds of things that would defeat them and keep them very, I'm talking about people, keep people very narrowly focused on a very small amount of the real estate because we don't dare venture forward into that unknown where there is not information when and as we need it at the point of use or even close to it. We then become courageous Heroic human beings. doesn't matter that our venue is a textile plant. It's our venue. So I wanted to say those things. And I want to uh, just tell you, we're also going to be at the University of Buckingham in Buckingham, the UK, in July, July 10th and 11th. We'll put it on our website. We're go- I'm going to be doing visual leadership there. I wanted to tell you that. And we're going to do a training of trainers at a winery. We'll send that notice out in a couple of weeks. We've got to get our ducks in a row first. So we're going to go into the break. As soon as we get back, we become we begin this methodology, okay, on developing a robust color code system or vetting your current system. See you in a minute. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Gwendolyn, and this is part two of the Visual Workplace This Day. So we're going to begin this process. I'm going to put a few little pieces in place so you don't forget what we're doing when we're focusing on borders and, in this case, developing color-coded borders. So if you remember my definition of a visual workplace, it's a work environment that is self-ordering, self-explaining, and because it's self-explaining, it's self-regulating. And when you get enough layers of that in place, you have a self-improving workplace. You have a built-in feedback loop. It is a work environment, to continue with the definition, where what is supposed to happen does happen on time, every time, day or night, because of visual devices. You take the visual devices away, you don't have that kind of reliability, flexibility, sustainability, stability. You don't have anything. You have pretty much business as usual, which is a lot of firefighting and a lot of doing a lot but not accomplishing much. It's, It's a sad state of affairs. Visuality really is a way of structuring in your success. But I've said enough kind of conceptual things for, for right now. Let me go on. That it happens because of visual devices. And a visual device, to give you the definition of that, is a mechanism that's intentionally designed to influence, direct, or limit behavior. How? By making vital information available at a glance to anyone, everyone who needs it without speaking a word. Right? It influences, directs, or limits behavior. Now, that definition is biased towards the sense of sight. But believe me, there are plenty of other senses that come into play, including the other four that we know about. Smell, hearing, taste, touch, and I'm missing one. <clears throat> or maybe that's the five. What we're doing in a visual workplace is we're taking information that is specific to our work or specific to our success, what I call vital information, and we are triggering exact behavior, how to use that information exactly, correctly, masterfully through visual devices. We're not doing it by managing, micromanaging, supervising, training, not at all. We're embedding that information through visual devices into the living landscape of work, and then I, as a human, enter that landscape. The landscape speaks to me. The workplace speaks. So part of this array, and one of the fundamental devices, is borders. Borders capture the visual where they claim the real estate. They make it clear that a space is not available just because it's empty. The border may be empty, but it doesn't mean that that, that that space has not been claimed. It's very, very important. And as I go through borders, and over the last three weeks I've talked to you about highly functioning borders, double border function, 
<clears throat> sometimes we have a lot, sometimes we have a little, but we never have a lot and a little at the same time. I've spoken to you about putting borders in so that you can also see time, not just outline an object, but actually get higher levels of function from it. So what we're going to be spending the rest of the show on is walking through a methodology that I developed uh, 10 or 12 years ago because I saw the people's color code system for borders were almost always inherited either from the previous plant manager or from corporate or from somebody's idea of what a color code system could be, but it was never vetted. Now, I established clearly over the last two shows, I hope, that color coding in and of itself it does not exactly belong to the border discussion because it is a form of address. It is not a form of border. It is a way of amplifying an address, not amplifying the border, amplifying the address. But since this is not commonly held as true, most people make synonymous the border, and the color code. And they usually make the mistake of thinking because they color coded it, they now have a border with an address. That is not true. It's a big mistake. In fact, you need the address. You need the numbers. You need the words. You need the clarity. And we'll talk about that. We'll start a series very soon. I think I'll take a week or two off before I begin addresses to talk about some other things just to give you a little break in the march through this. So we're going to develop a color code system for borders that is customized to your company, customized, in fact, to the performance outcomes of your plant, one that captures the specific performance categories of your production floor. Why? So that employees, you and me and everyone else, can detect those categories at a glance even when an item is not in its home location. And remember, we're going to combine that color code system with addresses. But because we're in the kingdom of borders right now, I'm saying let's let's set up our color code system now. And typically when we start a rollout of work that makes sense or 5S plus 1, 5S on steroids, before the first training happens, we already know we've already gone through this process. We've already determined whether or not we're going to be laying down tape or two coats of latex sealed with two coats of, of uh, oil paint. We already know how to clean the floors. We've got that formula all in place so that by the third or fourth, it actually is by the, se- by the sixth module when borders come in, <clears throat> we're ready. So, okay, here's how to set up your session. Quiet room, plenty of wall space. You need wall space. If there's a lot of pictures, you got to be able to put uh, masking tape and hang stuff on those pictures. Quiet, plenty of wall space. Your group is going to be about five to seven people, and they're going to represent various floor functions, material handler, operator, maintenance, supervisor, quality tech engineer. I normally don't get any operators in my trainings. I always get the heavyweights, the maintenance manager, the engineer, two or three maintenance people, in fact, 
the head of, of material handling. That's fine. As long as they know the floor. As long as they know what goes on the floor, what gets on the floor, what get, what's get, gets lost on the floor. We're going to set aside an hour and a half or two. Boy, is this worth it. Two hours. Wow. And the supplies we're going to have are flip chart with lots of chart paper, preferably with those light grid lines. Not the 3M sticky in the back stuff. I, that stuff is so hard to handle. You can't get any. It's good for some purposes, but I'm always fighting with that sticky stuff. It's like fighting with scotch tape. You're going to lose. Masking tape. You have a couple of rolls of masking tape, and you have a wide range of post-its. That is a wide range of colors. A three by three is fine, or two by three. You'll need a lot of them. And if you run out of colors, we can figure out ways of making differentiation by putting a black border around something or whatever. And we'll need some large, bright, large, bright colored post-its as well. So, <clears throat> what you do to get started is, oh, let's see. I'm just thinking, <clears throat> I want to give you the step-by-step, but can I tell you just one thing I forgot to say last week? If you use tape, please, 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 you have to wax it. Since you can't give it a double coat of sealant, I, I said oil before, but I meant sealant, you have to always wax down your, your, your tape because that's the only way to keep the dust from creeping inside and pulling it up. Okay? All right, so I forgot to say that before. So a color code system for borders will capture the performance function that allows you, allows me to see and detect different types of floor items. The process that I'm going to describe here says let's work alone at first, work solo, by yourself, and maybe then with one or two other people. So those five to seven people will be broken into three teams. I don't like to do less than three teams because I don't get enough richness of output. We'll work alone and then in these very small teams, two or three people at first. And then as we move through the process, we'll move towards a more consensus-based decision-making. But right now, I want you to have minority reports. I want you to know and hold to your own opinion. I want you not to try to blend. The purpose here is to get richness, a robust system, and that can only happen if people are thinking independently. If you try to blend too soon, you'll get, you'll get what corporate sent you. I love you, corporate, <clears throat> but you know what? You don't exactly know what's going on on the, on the shop floor, not in detail, not in depth. Other thing is you're going to pilot this system. You're going to use it across targeted set of areas in order to create greater clarity. Okay? And once you get that system going, you're going to use that system also after it's been piloted, vetted, and uh, finalized to create links between departments so that departments can start talking to each other quite intentionally through the use of this color code system. This color code system is for borders. You can do other color code systems for your actual materials. But this one is for borders. Okay? This premise is the system between departments will be uniform and standard. But within a department, 
where there is no outside interface, I like to support unique variations, unique applications, what I call flights of fancy. Flights of fancy, so that people can do something that looks a little bit weird on the outside but is really useful on the inside because of some internal procedure. Please do not seek uniformity throughout. You will you will cut off the possibility of improving your system and also getting it to actually work properly. So let's begin. <clears throat> I, wa- I want you to get into small teams, sit with one but not more than two other people, so that means there will be three of you. I want this group to stick together as a team throughout the session, and I want each person in that small team of two or three to pick a color of Post-it, which is theirs, and make a little legend. Pink is for Gwenny, Alex gets green, and Heidi gets blue. Okay, hope I remember those. And do that. That's your very first baby step. Your second step, I'll tell you about after the break. Matt is waving at me, saying, time for a break. So we're going to go into a break, and I'll be back in a minute. We have a whole other half a show. We've got plenty of time to walk through this. See you in a minute. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company Gwendolyn galsworth visual workplace expert and award-winning author is available to help you harness and maximize that power with nearly 30 years of hands-on experience dr galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars site assessments total company conversions keynotes coaching and consulting learn about visuality through our books dvds on-demand webinars visual edge learning packages and a host of other teaching materials enroll in the visual lean institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or qmi affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses keep your visual workplace going and growing Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. <laughs> Hi, it's Gwendolyn. You know what just happened? So this guy calls in. Remember how I said at the beginning of this, I'm going to walk you through a procedure and we'll send you a template if you call in with a question or comment. And he said, I just pulled over. I'm on my cell. And I can't ask you a question because i got to get where I'm going. Can I please just send you an email and tell you how much I like your show? And would you ple- couldn't you please send me the template? So I said yes. <laughs> and so I have to say yes to you. If you want the template, we will send it to you. You send us an email at radio at visualworkplace.com. 
radio at visualworkplace.com. I don't want any of you getting into an accident because of your love of visuality. I really like that phone call. Very nice man. He didn't even have time to tell me his name. He said, I'm a big fan. <laughs> That's very nice. Okay. So we're on step one. Your group can be four or five if you, if you have a, uh, you know, if you want to have 15 people in the room. But believe me, it's very, very hard to kind of manage that group. But you want to have three groups. So step one is you're going to be working by yourself. You pick a color of post-it. That's yours. Pink, blue, green, yellow, whatever it is. And now what you do working alone as an individual is that you make a sticky note, a post-it for every type of item you can think of that occupies, occupies floor space or wall space in your area. And if you're a manager, just pick an area. If you don't have a floor area that is actually yours, pick a single area, walk through it in your mind, and name the item. Write it clearly using a dark marker. And one of the reasons why we use a dark marker is because in a little while we're going to be putting these things up on a flip chart and you want to be able to read it from a reasonable distance. Flip chart will be near your table. You'll be at a reasonable distance. You want to be able to read it. And you do that. Now, what happens at this point is the room gets very quiet, and it should. And if you're the trainer, facilitator, coach, you keep that room silent. No talking, no conferring. People will stare into space. They'll stare. They'll just stare, and they'll think they'll be traveling back into the area and finding all those items that occupy floor or wall space. And you'll get 10, 15, 20, 25 sometimes. Good. That's your step two. Your step three is now working in your small group, you share your set of post-its and you organize them into clusters. So the first thing you do is somebody can stand at the board and say, okay, let's get started. I'm going to get started with um, um, the J190 whip. I have a post-it for J190 versus the J123s. And so he puts it up there. Anybody got anything like that? people begin to cluster like items. You go round robin with each person in your group reading out loud the category of floor item or wall item she's identified and you make sure they're read out loud exactly as written. You want to hear the language. Do not set any aside just because somebody else has already named it and said it. Get the cluster very thick. You want to see preferences. You want to see common understandings. You position like or repeat items near each other in a, in a, in a like cluster. You don't attempt to merge items or reduce the number of items. Do not do this. This is a huge mistake. We'll do it later, not now. Right now, you want to see the range. And you keep repositioning items as your thinking evolves. So you might say, oh, the whip should go here. No, you know what? We've got this whole category called the blah blahs. blahs Let's just keep repositioning. That's okay. If there's any kind of pushback and repositioning, don't repositioning. If you're the person who's you know, got their hands on the flip chart, don't take that as you've been authorized to do anything but serve. And don't worry about the nomenclature either. That will be very different. And there's a step for smoothing that out. So your step three is to cluster like items. Your step four is to confirm the logic of that cluster. So now you're silent again. You're silent again. And each of you individually 
you sit there, you stare there, you st- you stand there, and you look at the way the post-its are clustered to see if there's good internal consistency. Do they make sense together? You look at it, you think about it. After two or three minutes of silence, then you begin to talk and you say, you know, I think this one really, what do you think about this, blah, blah, blah. You go back and forth, you go back and forth. You talk about it. You're not really working for consensus. You're working for a common understanding so that you can then manipulate these further. And when it things have settled down, things look pretty good, you can do the next piece, which is still part of step four, one of two ways, your choice. We found two ways. Maybe you'll find a third. You can either draw a circle around the cluster and then number the clusters, and you number the clusters on a post-it, a bright-colored, single-colored post-it, like bright pink, one, two, three, four, five, all separate post-its, and you simply stick them on the circle in the circle so you can now you now have a nomenclature it's called one it's called two hey let's look at three or you can set up a grid like a a three by four grid on a post on a on a chart and just put the various clusters in there again number them my preference is always flexibility put it on put the number on a post-it and set up the grid You want to be able to see what you got. Now that you've got the clusters, now you begin to do some work. The rest was just kind of documenting what you already know. But now you have to shift into, in step five, naming the clusters. And you must work alone, work alone, work alone at first. You have have post-its. Maybe brightly colored post-its this time, which is what I prefer. And you simply name the cluster. Let me, let me amend that. You don't need the brightly colored post-it until you start landing on a common name. Let me just say that what you do now is you sit there and you start thinking of names for each cluster. Oh, this is safety items. Oh, this is floor items. This is material handling. Oh, this is on hold. But it is also scrap. But it is also rework, all that stuff. Huh. Hmm. What can we name that? Okay, and you'll have six, seven, eight, ten, twelve different clusters. Find a name for them. And as you're finding a name for them, you will discover things about the post-its themselves. So you do step five completely alone. Step six is when you come together, when you compare and combine your lists. And the way that I like to do it, if there are four people in your group, you just make four columns and you put the names on top, Todd and Mike and Roxanne and Greg. And people put up their post-its, the bright colored post-its. These are like the three by threes. They're very strong colors. And you put up your array of names Put the name at the top, your own name at the top of the column so we know. And you let each person post his or her set of of names. This is what I think 
these names seem to fit with these clusters. And now you begin to, after you post them, you begin to discuss the differences. And you seek to settle on a single name for each cluster. This will bring up a lot of interesting insights into what the cluster is and where the naming nomenclature can either get you into trouble or help you in developing your color-coded system for borders. Because what you're doing is you're naming, even though you haven't named the colors yet of the color code system, you're naming the functionality, what this means. You do that in advance of name of, of your colors. Colors have a different, have a whole step of their own. If a team member is reluctant to give up one or several of his, of his or her preferred names or others are reluctant to use them, then let the person keep her own naming system. It's called a minority report, and there might be one column where almost everybody agrees and another column where Gwani doesn't want to give up my naming. I think my naming is best, and I think within the next 45 minutes you'll realize that I'm not willing for you to absorb me, to borg me. You will not borg me. It's called a minority report, and they are very, very welcomed because it will all get smoothed out later. Either I'll convince you, you'll convince me, or we'll agree to disagree or whatever. Don't fight this battle now. Don't worry about it. We're six steps, and I think this is going to be an 11-step process if I remember. Okay? You have this discussion, and remember our definition of consensus. Wonderful definition. It isn't getting you to agree with me or vice versa. It is instead the active search for disagreement until enough agreement is met, is achieved, for us to move forward together. Beautiful, isn't it? So we actively search to see how we disagree so that we can understand each other. And in understanding each other, we begin to see what we have, what we hold in common. And that brings us into a greater alignment until we have enough alignment to move forward together. So I'll say, hey, Susie, you know, I hate your name of calling this red stuff rubbish, but if it moves us forward, I got enough of what I wanted. Let's just call this stuff rubbish. How do you spell that, with two Bs or one? You just give it up. What's the big deal here? Okay? So the consensus part happens, begins to evolve here. Step seven, remember you're working in a single group. You're working with three, maybe four people. You're doing your thing, but you know what happens now? You turn and you compare and you compare your lists with the other groups. And each group presents. This is step seven. Compare, compare and combine. So first you compare. Let each group present. Explain their list of clusters. Explain their nomen, their naming, nomen, their naming um, approach, and then start having a conversation. Things get live, lively here, right? We want people to speak, but we first want to make sure they have something to say, that they're clear on what's in their own mind. They've sorted out what they want to say in their own small groups and now you're standing as a group and there's Susie saying and I've got this special name I call it the Martian Wasteland things items from the Martian Wasteland or rubbish <laughs> whatever 
And everybody says, yay, Susie, we love you, Susie. Keep going. You're one of us, Susie. You don't look like us. You don't talk like us, but you're one of us. <laughs> right? Take it nice and light. The process itself is sturdy enough to get you a very good system or to vet the current system and make sure you've got a good one already. Because in vetting it, you just work it backwards. You just do the same process and you see where you land and then you compare it with your current system. So if you've got an existing system, you go through this, it is well worth your time. If you're really going to do visuality, and for operators, if you take the premise that when the visual wear is robustly in place, it feels like they're 90% through all of visuality, it's that important, it'll be worth your time to get this color code system right or to verify the one you currently have. So we're sliding into our last break. We'll be able to nicely go into the details of the final steps here. We've got some big things to do, and I'll tell you about them after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, it's Gwendolyn. I just got a call from that guy. His name is Jim. And he thanked me. So isn't that good? The guy who said, well, would you please send me the uh, color code border system template, please, because I, I'm driving. So he had a little bit of a little bit of a minute, and he called me to say thank you. Radio at visualworkplace.com. That would be nice. So we're on step seven, which is compare and combine the other lists. The other groups have been working independently. They have a robust list. They're pretty committed to it. They understand its logic. They've gone through it with their own members or other team members. They present it to you. They explain themselves. And then the team, first, of course, we seek to understand. We seek to understand their point of view. They put them up. They explain it. We see that there are commonalities, 
And then we, the next step is we're going to combine and we're going to seek to reduce the list until you have formed categories that do not exceed the number seven. Five to seven color-coded categories. Categories of function. Five to seven. I've seen them with 11. I've seen them with 14. I've seen them until you get a headache because there's so many colors. So five to seven is the magic number. That's one thing you do. You start reducing and you also begin to smooth out the names. So you make a distinction between rework, defects, quality on hold, junk, scrap. And I know that you, you, you know what's coming next when you start working with what color do we want. You're going to want differentiation there. Okay. You want to have differentiation. So five to seven final categories, you work it. You work it, you work it, you take a little break. You're now probably in about an hour and 15 minutes, not much more. Because if you keep the group small, this can move very effectively. And what you're trying to develop is a valid pilot. Because just because you thought of it in this room doesn't mean it's going to become the law. But at least you have a well, a logical and congruent approach to take to the next step. So, step number eight, after you have compared, combined, reduced, named, is now you find the colors. Once the group has landed on a pretty good combined list of cluster names, each small group separately develops a color for each. And again, you go into your small groups and you begin to work the colors. And they're going to be yellow and red and blue and purple and orange and green and white and gray and black. And people will also talk about double-striped color borders, the kind that vibrate and make the mind unsettled. Remember we talked about it, how you use it very rarely. And you go through that and you go through the process of discussing colors and believe me, your maintenance guy who's sitting right there is going to try to get those colors to be reasonable, to be affordable. But what you're looking for is distinctiveness. And you might combine colors. You might have a blue and a green together. You can do that. That gives you greater stretch. You'll see that on the template. So you work the colors and you... You individually work that and then you come together in step nine and you can bear and compare and combine the colors. You let each group post and present and explain its color list. You discuss the pros and cons and you work to arrive at consensus on a robust color code system. You work for this. It's going to be a little bit hard at this point to accomplish a true consensus within the two hour limit. But what happens is it looks pretty good. And usually the plant manager is not in the room. Usually what happens is that the visual workplace coordinator has called this meeting and then the results are taken to the plant manager and discussed further. You vet the process further. Take your time on this. Give it another week. Give it another two weeks. Post your color code system and ask for public feedback. Test it out on a pilot area. Do both. Get other people's thoughts about it. You're going to have 12 out of 100 men, some degree of colorblind, 3 out of 100 women. So you may surface that as being a consideration. You're going to worry about the color of the floor and the contrast of the colors. 
If you start using beige on a brown floor or gray on a black floor or gray on a gray floor, which I've often seen, okay, all of this will come to the surface. But you're beginning to understand the logic of this. Now, most of the time when I do this anymore, the coordinator will call up and schedule a long-distance webinar, and we'll go through exactly this, but on WebEx someplace where we can move them through the uh, slides of the learning and get them to do the exercises. Within two hours, they're done. And then there's some follow-up. Mm-hmm. And the color code system then is piloted. And when you've finished piloting it, there's something else that I want to tell you to do. This is so good. I want you, before you leave that room, to estimate the percentage of floor space that each of your categories, your functional categories, the footprints, will occupy. I'm going to read through a list here as far as I can before the show is over. And I'm happy to send this one to you, too. It's excellent. This is the result of this and probably two follow-up discussions where Cliff uh, met with the plant manager and met with his team. 10% is for raw. Raw is phosphorescent pink. Phosphorescent pink is used so materials outside can be easily seen in snowy weather because there's a lot of snow there. Raw means store purchase components, raw materials, store consumables, stored seals, store hardware. 15% of the floor is for whip. Materials after the first operation and purchase components. This is how they defined it, and that's orange. Outbound whip will have an orange and a double, an orange and green double border. That means it's outgoing whip, double and green, because green is for finished goods and the orange is for whip. How clever is that? And finished goods occupies 10% of the floor. They did this research. They did the, the analysis. Their eyes, their estimate, of the floor is going to be blue because that is for the utility, machines and workbenches and stands and racks and shelves and robots and brooms and mops and hoppers and returnable containers and pallets and blah, blah, blah. And there's a note here that says, note, shipping and receiving is a sell. Please don't think it isn't just because it's big. 5% of the floor is for red tag, suspect raw, whip, defect scrap. 19%, that's an interesting number, 19% of the floor is for support and maintenance. Maintenance, that's yellow. The oil fill station, this is a machine shop. Wastewater treatment, chemicals, forklifts, charging stations. So you see, do you see the clarity of this? And 1% is for your hazards and your safety, and that gets the double black and yellow border. Do you see? And that's 100%. And that gives you a system that has the right weight, it has the right color, it has the right substance on the inside, and you can move forward and move into laying down your borders, knowing that those borders are going to function not only because you place them based on the principles of smart placement, but also because the borders themselves are talking and reflecting what's actually going on in, in the performance of the floor, and all before we do addresses. All before we do addresses. So we're at the end of our show. We made it. We're done with borders for a while. Next week, I'm probably going to interview Norman Bodek, who's a great friend of mine. He gave me my first job after I was a Latin teacher. And um, 
then after that, we'll pick up addresses. I'm pretty sure right after that. We'll see what happens. Let me hear from you. I love talking with you. I love sharing what I know, and I love for you to share what you know with me. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off. Thank you. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.